from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we are coming to you live from these United States of America, here out of the center of, not the exact center, the relative center of the United States, Des Moines, Iowa, where we both work for Mercy College of Health Sciences. I'm the director of mission and ministry, but what do you do at the old college? I'm the academic dean at Mercy College of Health Sciences right there in downtown Des Moines. We're glad to be a part of your listening experience today. Thank you for joining the show. Uh, as always, we are brought to you by said Mercy College of Health Sciences that underwrites our show. We both get the privilege and honor to work with the next generation of students who are going to go out and become healthcare professionals, nurses, allied health members, people that you are interact with when you go to the hospitals all over the state of Iowa and beyond, uh, trying to make a difference not only in the physical health of people, but the holistic integrated health, looking at people as more than just their diseases, but as persons in need of the healing ministry uh, that the church has always done throughout time. So Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu, thank you for underwriting the show. But in that regard, what does it feel like getting set up back in the central time zone, getting into the swing of things as we get ready to close out uh, the the winter semester here? No, it's been amazing. And both, I was going to ask you this off air, but since I have you right now, um, I there's a lot going on at Mercy, despite the various bugaboos and obstacles of 2020 a lot going on but did i see a message this week that there's going to be a walkway built over sixth avenue so like it won't from... be over it will be uh... on top of so um as if folks if you've ever been to des moines you'll drive through downtown and notice that we have skywalks and actually the skywalk if you walk every single section of it i think it's like three to four miles you can walk completely indoor elevated above the roads uh when you're not you know, in the middle of a pandemic, it's great during winter, especially when there's snow, because you can still get your exercise in. Uh, where we are at Mercy on campus, we're sort of at the northern edge of downtown. Uh, so we don't, we're not going to get a skywalk across the street, but they are, in fact, building a crosswalk that will stop traffic so that when people walk back uh-huh. and forth between uh, both sides of a street to the buildings, it will now be drastically safer uh and maybe i mean we've i don't think we've ever really had a problem with it but how about this drastically less anxiety inducing for people (laughs) going back and forth different parts of our campus yeah you don't want students and staff playing frogger like on their way to class or whatnot so that's a nice development there you know how i know it's 2020 like the most 2020 part of 2020 though but iowa state is actually (laughs) semi-successful at football this year so no, amidst, like, amidst I mean, all the craziness, we, we have, I think that that's what's thrown me off the most. We have to give it to uh, one of our fellow on-air personalities, John Leonetti, that his team is doing good. I still throw out there, not to be mean to everyone, that there's plenty of time for things to, how's the nice way to put this, bud, regress back to the mean. Uh, <laughs> but for the time being, uh, blessings to John and all his favorite cyclone, his fellow Cyclone compatriots uh, for having... Uh, the year of their life, like you said, in the middle of 2020, which seems about right. 
Uh, folks, it's turning cold, uh, and so it, we know that winter is upon us. We just got done with Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a chance to be safe, but also have a good and refreshing uh, time uh, being thankful and grateful for all of the, the blessings that we've had. Uh, we turn now to Advent, which has absolutely started in earnest. It sneaks up on us in a year that seems like every week is about three months long. It still seems surprising, bud, that it's Advent and getting ready to be Christmas. So, you know, lots to be thankful for. Uh, but very interesting December in front of us, just, you know, trying to work it out in our heads that it actually is almost Christmas time. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is Advent can be sort of a somber season, but I've talked to a lot of fellow Catholics who are really excited for it this year because I think. 2020 has kind of fostered a little bit of uh, a spirit of anticipation in us, you know, where we have been forced to slow down and wait in ways that we haven't expected. So hopefully that will help us to enter into the season properly this year. But I am excited for our guest today, uh, Bo, an uncommon good all-star, Dave Devil. He teaches theology and Catholic studies at the University of St. Thomas, but he's here to talk with us about a book that he recently edited Solzhenitsyn and American Culture, The Russian Soul in the West. And so if any of our listeners aren't familiar with the life of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, they're in for a treat, just a a towering figure in the 20th century. And I think a lot of what, um, you know, this guy who was imprisoned by the Soviets and and spent time like in a camp, uh, some some really wise insights for uh, our present cultural situation. I'd say so. And also the book itself, um, very impressively, includes a, a whole range of people talking about uh, not only Solzhenitsyn himself, but Russian culture. And two of my favorite essays of all time, uh, Eugene uh, Vod- Vodanskin, I'm very bad at pronouncing names, so forgive me, um, but The New Middle Ages and the Age of Concentration. And then my, one of my mentors, Jacob Howland, has um, an essay in this as well. People I know like Ralph Wood. Uh, Jennifer uh, Hooten Wilson, and of course, Dave himself wrote in this book. So anybody interested in this host of, of, of conversations, it's quite the book put out by Notre Dame Press. Uh, I should, you know, we should actually say its name, which is uh, Solzhenitsyn uh, in American Culture, The Russian Soul in the West. Notre Dame Press already out uh, for Amazon.com. So when we get back, that's what we're going to talk about with Dave Devil. Stick around. This is the Uncommon Good. Right after these messages, we'll chew into this wonderful conversation. We'll be back right after this. Folks, if you have questions for the Uncommon Good, want to give us comments, say what you're thankful for, what you're anticipating, Advent uh, lyrics, I guess, if you actually know in a hymn other than Come, O Come, Emmanuel for Advent. Would love to get that in the uh, comments as well. Easy to communicate with us. Just use the zip whip line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. The zip whip line. Your pathway. Yeah, that's what I'll use. We were talking about crosswalks. Your pathway to communicating with everybody that you know and love at Iowa Catholic Radio. 515-223-1150. Text the zip whip line. Hashtag UCG for the uncommon good. Comments, concerns, notes. Let us know what you're doing. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you. You can also talk to anybody at the station, any of our uh, personalities. 
anybody you want to talk to about maybe donating. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back right after this. We typically get sick more often as we age, right? This makes finding the right insurance plan very important. Give the good folks at Catholic United Financial a call. They're on a mission to give Catholics straight talk and great rates on Medicare supplement insurance. The backup insurance to Medicare. Hi, this is Kevin Williams, your local Catholic United Specialist, and I'm here to help you. Please call me at 224-764-2997. Get a quote from Kevin Williams at 1-800-255-9817. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo is provided by Confluence Brewing Company, brewed locally and featuring regular, seasonal, and limited-release beers available at local stores, bars, and restaurants. Confluence Brewing Company at 1235 Thomas Beck Road, off the bike trail south of Grays Lake, and online at confluencebrewing.com. Confluence Brewing Company offers curbside service and would like to thank you for your support. Thank you, Confluence Brewing Company, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping. Clean up and restore outdoor living space with retaining walls, privacy fencing, pergolas, paver sidewalks, and patios. Issues with soil settling and water around the foundation and yard? Five Sons Naturescapes can grade and install drainage tile to help. Five Sons Naturescapes online at fivesonsnaturescapes.com. Common Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Barr joining you this Wednesday. It's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting Iowa Catholic Radio. And we look forward to being a part of your listening experience today. But I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce our guest. Yeah, we're honored this morning to have on the show uh, Dr. Dave Diebel. He's the Assistant Professor of Catholic Studies and Co-Director of the Terrence J. Murphy Institute for Catholic Thought, Law, and Public Policy at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. Dave's also the editor of Logos, a journal of Catholic thought and culture. He's published widely, but we have him on the show this morning to talk about a new book he's co-edited called Sultanichin in American Culture, The Russian Soul in the West. Dr. Diebel, thanks for being on with us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be back with you guys. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Um, so I, I guess the best way to start off the show, because, you know, um, the focus of this book is a towering intellectual and literary figure, but maybe some listeners this morning are less familiar with the life of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And, and so I don't know if you could start us this morning with kind of the bird's eye view of um, the most important parts of his life and what he was about. Yeah. Solzhenitsyn was born uh, basically around the time of the Russian Revolution. So he was a kind of revolutionary baby. He was his father died and he was raised by his mother and grandmother who were Orthodox Christian believers. But like many young people, he eventually fell away from that and became a kind of true believer in the in the Marxist experiment. Um, He went on to study 
at uh, sciences as well as literature in university. And he was a World War II uh, army. Uh, uh, he was basically at the level of like a captain in the army during World War II. It was during that time that he began to have doubts, not about Marxism yet, but about about uh, Stalin's rule. And he uh, foolishly, in one sense, uh, made jokes about Uncle Joe Stalin in a letter to a, to a comrade, and they were discovered, and he was sentenced to prison in the gulag, that that system of, of camps for political prisoners uh, for 10 years. And it was during that time that he began to rethink the uh, basically the, the things that he'd been taught about Marxism. And he has many in his great three-volume work, The Gulag Archipelago, a kind of uh, you know, personal history and history of of others, he talks about the fact that he encountered prisoners who said, "No, no, no! It wasn't just Stalin; it's the entire Marxist experiment that went awry." And he himself began to discover what he called the arc of justice in the universe, and that, that it was a cornerstone. Uh, and he began to come back to his Christian faith after his ten years. He uh, he came out. He had a bout of cancer. Uh, he wrote about that in his novel, Cancer Ward. Uh, which was released later, but he spent about 12 years writing underground, passing things secretly in the in the uh, network that was known as Samizdat, personal personal copies. And eventually, he published his breakthrough work, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, a novella uh, that during the time of Nikita Khrushchev, that sort of broke open things. Eventually, uh, his outspokenness earned him a banishment from the Soviet Union in 1974, about the time, right after he had been awarded the Nobel Prize. Uh, and so he ended up living in America for about 20 years, uh, where many of his works came out. He eventually returned to Russia uh, and continued to work on his great history of the Russian Revolution, known as the Red Wheel. And he died in uh, 2008 when he was 89, almost almost 90. So uh, we've, we've, we've reached... Uh, you know, the hundredth anniversary and beyond. And now a lot of people are reconsidering his life and his work, particularly in light of what they see as sort of signs that perhaps we're headed towards a kind of experiment uh, in totalitarianism that that he experienced. Yeah, Dave, it's interesting to me when I was first perusing the book, uh, near the front of the book, there's a photo of Solzhenitsyn with um, Edward Erickson Jr., who taught at Calvin College, right, in Michigan, Yes. And I guess your acquaintances with Dr. or were with Dr. Erickson. Yeah. Ed Erickson was my mentor in college and yeah. uh, he was, yeah, at Calvin, Calvin college, now Calvin university. Um, and Jessica Hooten Wilson, my co-editor, uh, he was a kind of mentor to her through Russian literature, Russian literature circles. He originally was doing work on Dostoevsky and Walker Percy and Flannery O'Connor. And she met Ed, who got, got her into Solzhenitsyn. And Ed was one of the first ones who really understood Solzhenitsyn in the West. He had a, a brief period where he was the most famous person in the world when he won the Nobel Prize and when he was being expelled from the Soviet Union. Uh, but as people read more of him, particularly sort of progressive elites in the in the U.S., they didn't like what he had to say because he was criticizing them. He was criticizing Western materialism. And he was saying that uh, that the questions of the soul and of God were most important. 
Ed Erickson uh, understood that and was one of the first interpreters, particularly in his 1980 book, and the Moral Vision, uh, to really understand that. And he was the one who convinced Solzhenitsyn that a one-volume version of the Gulag Archipelago would be great because Americans might read it. The three-volume yeah. version is about 1,800 pages. And uh, getting Americans to you know focus on something that's not Harry Potter for that long is <laughs> it's kind of a sell. Yeah, uh, Russian authors sometimes struggle with an economy of language, but you know, obviously, like some amazing literature. I guess I bring up uh, Dr. Erickson. My Western Civ professor at John Brown University was Ed Erickson the Third, and yeah. uh, just uh, you know, looking through the book, I could see how his dad must have had a profound influence on him, of course, because you know some of those themes certainly showed up in that really important history class in my life, but. Um, yeah, so with Solzhenitsyn, with his experience of life in a communist regime, um, you know, I think for some Americans, when we hear that word today, communism, like there was an idea for a while that it was being tossed into the dustbin of history, you know, maybe like with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. I, I guess, I could you talk some about what Solzhenitsyn's most um, urgent criticisms of communist governments were and maybe you know like uh how those can still be important things for us to keep in mind today yeah you know Solzhenitsyn thought I mean this was one of the reasons why he became grossly unpopular when he came to the U.S. is that he said well you have the same problems that we do and one of those problems was the problem that we might call modernity that he as he said in his Templeton address uh, when he won the Templeton prize that really the problem is that men have forgotten God, and they've been in, basically engrossed in materialism. And he said that's the hidden link between the problems of the so-called free West and the communist East, is that all of them became materialists. And when you do that and only consider man a, a creature who has uh, needs for things and stuff, uh, you're, the, the people who are going to promise the most are going to win. And communists promise a kind of freedom from, from necessity and from want. Now, whether they deliver it better than, than, than the free West is a different question, but they promise more. And people want to be promised these, these material goods. And those who promise the most will, in many ages, uh, they will sell people. It's snake oil, but he knew that. And, he, and Solzhenitsyn said, this is the problem, is that once you get trapped in materialism, <laughs> the people who bid the highest are going to win. And communists always bid the highest. It's, it's a sort of utopian experiment. Uh, Dave, this is Bo. Good to have you back on the show. I, I immediately think that that starts to be the connection that people want to have. Um, they want to have history encased in amber as soon as possible. Because if it's encased in amber, we can dissect it and it'd be something quite different from us. When, when I get in discussions about materialism or collectivism, clearly both uh, denounced by the church, it's easy um, in the West, in Iowa and Oklahoma, places where I'm from, for this to be like, well, of course we don't do that. But it starts to be, of course, funny, right? Like I, what's more materialist than how people both on the left and the right in the United States have reacted to something like a pandemic or economic downturns in 2008, uh, war, uh, 
terrorism in 2001, you start to think, right, how long-seated the materialism makes both political parties say things like, go shopping or the terrorists win. Same thing goes with collectivism, right? You know, collectivism obviously uh, ensconced in the state is what the Marxist and this, particularly the Soviet Marxist had in mind. But when you have something like tech giants like Apple and Facebook basically ruling the ability of the world to, un- to, to know things, right? Like that's how we get our information or, you know, that like Unilever makes a billion products that we all use. Collectivism doesn't have to be packaged in what we saw 1917 through 1980s. And I think that that's the warning that Solzhenitsyn can throw out and still reverberate today. But people, I think, from all sorts of sides, want, like you said, they either want to ignore him like they did after the Templeton uh, address, or they want to make a sort of easy Solzhenitsyn, right? That he's like, yeah, you know, this guy who fought the good fight and he's dead now and we can learn those lessons. But the idea that materialism and collectivism will always figure out ways no matter the sort of form of government governance you have, that to me is the compelling message that he prophetically said again and again. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. I mean, what he saw was was uh, was a problem. And that's why, like I said, that's why he's unpopular, because he said, you'll have the same fate. It's just that, you know, you and the capitalist West will fulfill the prophecy of Lenin, which is, you know, the businessmen will sell the ropes by which they are hung, uh, which I think is has been quite often true. I, I heard you mention in the intro to the show that uh, that uh, you, you were a fan of Eugene Vodolaskin, the, uh, the, the Russian novelist who has a a couple of chapters in our book and what and they're basically dedicated to this idea that yes things are actually breaking down and that we are we are sort of returning to a state like the middle ages because the dreams of modernity which are kind of captured in in one sense in that sort of communist collectivism on one hand and a sort of dream of a sort of unlimited globalism on the other hand are breaking down and people are starting to rebel and and he suggested that, you know, it's going to be, a, you know, a kind of a rough road in a way that very much that I think reflects Solzhenitsyn's views. And what we need is an age in which we can concentrate again and free ourselves uh, in many ways from big tech and stop listening to the sort of the monochrome voices that are directing us in, in one direction. And again, regain our freedom, which is under God and creates the only real diversity that's worth having. Well, and I think that this is where, to to speak boldly, I think Russians, uh, not like, of course, all of them, there's even a sort of case to make. I, I forget where this is. So if I'm throwing out something and making it up, but some article or whatever pointed out that two of the most important Russians in Russian history, Lenin and Solzhenitsyn, both like each other were very different than most Russians. Like they were yeah. both like sort of go-getters in a way that like most Russians would be like, I'd rather just sit back and like let history do its own thing. In another regard, I think Eugene is hitting something that is really hard for us in the West. He makes that point that we have loads of individuals, but no personality. Whereas the middle ages was largely bereft of individuals, but had personalities that outstrip anything that we have in celebrity culture. And then the other thing he points out, which we're really bad about is how we think about history and he, he he you know he said there's 
the idea that history is a straight line mounting towards progress or the old pagan one that it's just circular. But the Christian idea is that it's something much more like a spiral staircase. So it's ascending, but it, so to speak, reconsiders aspects of the past, but in a new key. And so when we think about the, the way in which if we wanted to be uh, dramatic about it, we can think about how there's items in the past that sure as heck seem to resi- resonate with things now, but that the Christian aspect is to say there, there's a way in which to reconsider similar things in different places at different times is exactly what we mean by something like the spirit of Advent, right? Where God is taking history into himself, and it's not just this, you know, straight shot to progress and utopia, like maybe the Leninists would think. But it's neither is it just pagan fate either. And uh, so I know that those are two huge concepts, but Solzhenitsyn, in a way, I think, presented that to the West. And it's, as you said, we've not had the language to deal with those sort of Russian insights. Yeah. You know, one of the chapters in our book is by Joseph Pierce, who probably many of your listeners will know from his his biographies, not only of Solzhenitsyn, but also Chesterton and Belloc and and many other figures. And, and his chapter really details the connections between figures like Chesterton, of whom Solzhenitsyn was a big fan, <laughs> and, and Solzhenitsyn himself. And one of, those, one of those commonalities that they have is that refusal to sort of uh, give over the ship to a kind of a fate or a, an easy progress, but instead to understand that there, there is a, a free choice that's made and that we can actually uh, really, as you, you know, as you said, become true personalities under God and not be automatons. And uh, it's interesting because when uh, Pierce recalls when he went to, to visit Solzhenitsyn to do interviews with him for his biography a number of years ago, uh, they were talking about this commonality with these figures like, like Chesterton and T.S. Eliot and T.S. Lewis and Solzhenitsyn said, I'm sure that there are probably as unpopular in the West as I am because they emphasize these things. And there's a certain way in which that's true. Yeah, Dave, when we read about the experience in a place like communist Russia, you know, I think for Americans, what sounds most harrowing is, of course, like being imprisoned and forced into labor or even, you know, family members uh, disappearing, uh, being executed. Um, Solzhenitsyn, like one thing that he points out a lot in his writings, like a thread running through there, is the importance of telling the truth. And I love that quote, one word of truth outweighs the world. He also had these strong warnings against like, yes, men, the yes man is your enemy, but your friend will argue with you. I'm sure Bo loves that quotation. Uh, <laughs> could, you, could you unpack that statement? One word of truth outweighs the world. Why was that so significant in, um, in Solzhenitsyn's worldview? Well, yeah, it's very important because, I mean, and it reflects you know, Solzhenitsyn's basic Christian conviction that, uh, that the word <laughs> is absolutely central and the way in which we use our words will reflect truth or not. And what he saw was that evil triumphs by what he called the ideological lie, um, that refusal to, <laughs> to, to actually stand up and say, no, that, that is not true. I must speak the truth. And so he gave a famous, you know, it's, as you said, it's all over his work, uh, but particularly his, his uh, early 1970s um, letter 
live not by lies expresses that so well uh, that we cannot participate in the lie. Let, you know, let the lie come into the world, but not by me. And, and that in itself is, is a statement of revolutionary, you know, import that if we simply refuse to cooperate with lies, uh, then we're doing something very important. But even more important is to actually speak the truth when we have opportunity. And that's what, that's why he was himself so focused upon his literary work, upon recording the experiences of those people in the gulag, of retelling the story of what really happened in the Russian revolution so that so that he could defeat that ideological lie so that people could again say, yeah, I'm no longer going to going to buy into this. I am instead going to 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 say the truth. But he understood, too, that that people didn't under, didn't like that kind of uh, friendly criticism uh, always. And sometimes they simply wanted yes men. But he knew that that the only way to get beyond tyranny is to not be a yes man, to not to not give in to the lie, but instead to speak the truth and to say it in a way beautifully. And that's why he in his Nobel address, uh, he had focused on the artist uh, because he thought that the speaking of truth and the depiction of beauty was even more important than politics because it was deeper and more powerful and it guided it. Well, we're getting up to the break, but I, I think that that's something to pin the conversation and then return to after the break is the impulse to make art political, especially in free societies. And in, in, in uh, totalitarian ones, it goes without saying, we're going to make art into propaganda. The sort of self-servile willingness to politicize your own art, that to me is uh, the, the true conundrum that we, we continually see and have to fight against. But we'll talk about that after the break. This is The Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr will be back right after these messages. <laughs> Folks, if you want to be a part of Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do. All you have to do is interact with our social media. Don't listen too hard to what we were saying beforehand. Sure, it's part of the totalitarian collectivist regime, but in a very focused way, if you want to make sure to see what's going on at Iowa Catholic Radio, we can at least use uh, you know, these guys' technology to keep, to keep track with each other, uh, you know, this limited way. Uh, you can do this by going to the website, www.iowacatholicradio.com, where you can listen live, sign up for newsletters, donate to keep our apostolate running. If you go to Facebook, just iowacatholicradio.com in order to befriend us. You can also go to Twitter and follow at IA Catholic Radio to see our tweets. And finally, you can download the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Anywhere you have a data connection, you can listen live, listen to pre-recorded things, donate, do all of that stuff. It's fantastic. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. 
Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. Their number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Thank you to Mercy One for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. From the cardiovascular experts at the Iowa Heart Center to the pediatric services of Mercy Children's Hospital and Clinics, Mercy provides complete care for Central Iowa's adults and children with more than 50 primary care and specialty clinics in the Des Moines area. Find a convenient Mercy One location near you. Online at mercydesmoines.org. Here is your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Sunny today, we will be in the mid-40s for the high. Cloud cover will stick around through this evening, then clearing overnight. Our low 25, then partly cloudy and cooler on Thursday with a high 41. 44 on Friday. Our weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy, outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. A meteorologist and holiday on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday. Wonderful to have you with us. Bud, can you bring us back, uh, tell us who the guest is, and let's get started for the second segment. Yeah, our guest this morning is an Uncommon Good All-Star, Dr. Dave Diebel. He teaches Catholic studies at uh, the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. Editor of a wonderful journal, I highly recommend it, Logos, a journal of Catholic thought and culture. He's recently co-edited a book. Uh, you can find it on the um, Notre Dame Press's website. It's called Solzhenitsyn and American Culture, The Russian Soul in the West. Thanks for being back with us, Dave. Hey, thank you, bud. Thanks for plugging the journal. I know you, you've been a, a valued contributor to our journal, Logos in the past, and, and uh, Bo has uh, turned us on to some fantastic scholars in England recently. Just trying to do my part, man. Uh, I, know, I know that uh, <laughs> I, I'd be summarily rejected if I... No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I, Bo, I didn't, uh, Bo, I didn't know you were friends with Eng- Englanders. I thought you drew the line there. Well, I mean, I'm a little, you know, I, I didn't want it to be outed on the airwaves, but there's a few good ones. Brian Sudlow, okay. if you guys get a chance to go uh, check out his article in Logos, it's a very good one, actually. <laughs> but are you there? Go ahead, man. I'm sorry, like the where you're having difficulties. Go ahead with your question. Oh, yeah, no. Um, so, Dave, uh, you, we talked in the first half of the show about um, how Solzhenitsyn eventually... Uh, immigrated to uh, or had to came to America later on in life, and it's fascinating because uh, in that later period of his life, he had many words for the West, and he talked about some of the potential pitfalls that he saw in that historical moment based on his experience of Soviet Russia. In this article uh, that you have online, Solzhenitsyn's advice to the free world, you talk about these various enemies to liberty. Uh, materialism, uh, you bring up a couple others. Um, could you unpack sort of those things? Like in what ways 
did Solzhenitsyn see Western cultures entering into a sort of malaise? And how did he seek to wake Americans up to to these threats? Yeah, thank you. He uh, he very much saw uh, materialism as one of the big enemies, and that's connected to one of one of the other things is that he said, you know, this is the problem with uh, the West in general is people are seeking happiness. And what they mean by that is not the sort of the happiness that is, uh, you know, the province of the psalmist, happy the man, right, who follows in the law of the Lord, but it's a sort of a narrow happiness of feelings and of goods. And he said, you know, this is, this is one of the problems. And he would often point out that, you know, at least on one of the gulag camps, you know, there was a, uh, there was a, a sign, the Solovki gulag had a sign that said, here we will drive you to be happy. And I don't know about you, but um, if, if, if that doesn't make you happy, being driven to it, I, I don't know what will. But he said, look, it's the same sort of route. So people are not seeking what the end of the human being is, which is spiritual depth, is the term that he usually talked about, uh, that sort of concentration, uh, that uh, fulfillment of the purpose under God, uh, which in some places he described as ultimately heroism. Uh, so happiness is one of the big enemies. Another one is, that I think is very much, uh, you know, the case in America and the West more generally is what he noted as legalism. And while he certainly understood the importance of having a proper juridical structure and a rule of law, he understood that in the West, there was a certain problem that we have that we tend to equate legality with morality. Oh, well, if it's legal, I guess I can do it. And of course, that's that's never been the case. We uh, any good any good uh, lawyer will tell you that not everything that you can do is something that you really ought to do. But he saw that as a big problem. And an another one that he saw was our pitting of our rights culture against the duties that we have. And he thought that it, you know any culture that emphasizes rights at the expense of the duties that we have to actually contribute. To society is going to be one in which selfishness reigns and we're going to lose the thread of what we're about and that's going to derail us we're going to lose our courage we're going to lose our actual will to live and i think that's you know that's what we see i mean john paul echoed this with his phrase the culture of death we see a lot of language now about the suicide of the west and in this solzhenitsyn said no we need to turn away from these sort of arrowed ideas of freedom and happiness, and we need to actually go into the depths. And that will involve both the concentration that Eugene Vodolaskin talks about and that Solzhenitsyn uh, you know, wrote about himself, and it's going to require us to actually turn back to God. Um, one of his famous lines in the Templeton Address that he gave was that there's, there is no way out but up. And that's, I think, a, a fitting lesson for us all. Now, Dave, this makes me think about, uh, you're talking about forced happiness. And again, I know I'm hammering this part home, but I, I've, what I find fascinating about Solzhenitsyn is his unwillingness to decide since he went through hell on one end of a uh, history spectrum to go light on the other spectrum, right? He was grateful for the West, glad that he could come over here. But if, if he cared, the only way he's going to show he was cared would be to pinpoint what the West is doing wrong. And so when you think about forced happiness, 
I know that I, I think about this in almost sort of class-based terms, how, you know, modern America does not have a good place for, you know, like rural people suffering poverty in the, in the opioid crisis. You can tell that what we're not happy with is like the fact they're unhappy. We'll, we'll figure out anything that we can do to force people to be happy. Millennials don't have clear paths to like what they need to do in life. They're asking these open questions about what's the point. I did all of this stuff. I, I went to these colleges. I did what you said, and I'm still unhappy. And, and what does America do with this? But we're angry that they're expressing their unhappiness, right? We want to force them to be happy. And I think that drives everything you were saying about also uh, the legalism aspect. Um, everything sort of stems from that is if you just follow the rules, you'll be happy, you're right? If, if you just, the, the laws we make, they're going to make people happy. That, and, and this idea that maybe we need whatever freedom and liberty might be, it's not necessarily, it, no, in fact, let me be more stronger. It's definitively not doing whatever you want. That can't be it. And Solzhenitsyn, I think, shoves that into the West's face right at a time when they start congratulating themselves, the end of history, Fukuyama, all these things like this. We've done it, right? We're going we're gonna to figure out all these problems, like you said, the, 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 the other side of the coin of materialism. And there's going to be no reason for you to be unhappy anymore. And now the discontent, right, of, of the various sectors of the United States, that something like the COVID crisis is, is only revealed, it hasn't caused. And, and people go, why aren't people happy? Haven't we given them enough? Why aren't they happy? Well, it goes back to what Solzhenitsyn has been saying about purpose. And we've just simply not heeded his warning. And maybe that's why it's timely uh, to, to have this book uh, that you guys are editing come out so that we can reconsider these things. Yeah, I mean, Solzhenitsyn is a Russian writer. And, you know, the stereotype is that, you know, they're always talking about suffering. And, you know, stereotypes sometimes come about for a reason because they do. But but that was the point. Solzhenitsyn understood, like many of the great writers and you know, everybody in the Christian tradition that this full happiness in this life is not possible. And so that, you know, that attempt to force people to be happy with the things of this earth is just is just not going to do it. And in fact, it's going to cause exactly the opposite. That's why he focused so much on achieving spiritual depth. And th and that's why he can say things that are very difficult. I think they're difficult for me. They're difficult, you know, for most people. But uh, he was actually ended up being glad for his time in the gulag because he had all of the the appurtenances of material success. Uh, he was, a, you know, high ranking. He was, you know, at least he was an officer in the military, twice decorated. And then all of a sudden he had it taken away. And he talks about the fact that, that this was something that in God's providence uh, allowed him to actually seek something that's much greater than any Marxist dream of utopia or any capitalist dream of utopia or any other kind of dream of a utopia, because it involved going to the depths of the human soul. And that involved discovering the God who is both justice and providence and also, and also love. Dave, I think anyone who's paying attention right now can agree a lot with Solzhenitsyn's diagnosis and the kind of things that you're talking about. I mean, this is just front and center. When you turn on the news today, the sort of, 
spiritual malaise in the West, the kind of issues that Bo was mentioning about addiction, um, you know, the breakup of the family, et cetera. But it's tougher sometimes to find the way forward. And even if you get into, you know, like academic theology, there's all sorts of debates about do Christians adopt a, adopt a sort of pacifist stance where we kind of withdraw from the world and create these enclaves? Or is the idea more that like we should use, uh, for lack of a better term, like the levers of the political machinery to sort of like direct our culture in the right direction? And I, I'm curious, I'm part of my ignorance, I'm less familiar with this aspect of Solzhenitsyn's thought. But, you know, Russia presents an interesting case study because it really has historically had a closer wedding between throne and altar. And, you know, even someone like John Henry Newman, whom we both admire, would talk about Caesaropapism, you know, this idea that uh, the church was maybe in some ways like subservient to the government and, you know, and, and the criticisms that were involved there. And I, I was wondering if you could um, shine a light for us on what Solzhenitsyn, like what he had to say about how the Orthodox Church handled the revolution and you know did he call for like a reinvigoration of sort of like um this this close marriage between uh like official religious life the church and society at a governmental level and maybe what we can take away uh, from that for ourselves yeah i mean it's one of the sort of stereotypes of of thought is that he was a kind of Russian theocrat who would, you know, only be happy when the government and, you know, included sort of the uh, direct advice of the, you know, the bishops in their tall hats or something like that. And I don't think that that's ever anything that he actually thought about. It's not that he was a sort of a, a preacher of, you know, of American style separation of church and state, but it's clear that he also went more in that direction when he thought about things. And he did uh, he did very strongly criticize the the Orthodox Church's leadership uh, in the revolution, and and many of its uh, many of its uh, leaders did cave. Uh, those who didn't were often martyred immediately, uh, but many of them did cave. And he was not shy about saying that either. Uh, he attacked <laughs> in the seventies, particularly. He attacked the leadership of the of, of the Orthodox Church in Russia for its pusillanimity in, uh, in not speaking out against what were manifestly uh, crimes against uh, humanity and the Russian people. So he was not one of these who believed that uh, sort of a, you know, having the Orthodox Church running the show would solve things. And one of the, one of the interesting things about all of his work is that there's none of that sort of, uh, well, you know, triumphalism of the Orthodox. In all of his works, uh, you'll see that many of the characters who, you know, get the best lines, if you will, are not Orthodox themselves. They're Jewish. Um, they're, you know, in, in for, for most readers who have encountered Solzhenitsyn a little, they've read One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. In there, the great figure who is speaking the truth uh, to Ivan Denisovich, a kind of everyman, is a character named Alyosha the Baptist. <laughs> so it's the Baptist who gets kind of the, the final word and speaks for God, if you will, there. So Solzhenitsyn was not one uh, to think, well, all we need is that, you know, to have the bishops running things. Instead, it was that uh, return to conscience in the soul. I mean, I'm glad you brought up Newman because 
I, when I teach Newman on conscience, I often bring up passages of Solzhenitsyn to sort of illustrate the fact that this is this is the primal experience of God is in our conscience, and it's the return to conscience that then gives us a stronger grasp on the God who is there and present in Jesus Christ. Well, Dave, we're we're getting towards the end, and so I want to make sure that I make one more shout out. Um, one of my one of the most important professors in my life, uh, Jacob Howland, uh, has a piece. A kind, I think he is the tail end of the book. Um, where where totalitarian physics and moral threshing, where he talks about uh, Vasily Grossman's huge work, Life and Fate, which to my mind is one of the most Russian things you could imagine, where it's like war (laughs) and history and suffering and uh, particle physics and philosophy and and Jews and Christians and Marxists and Orthodox. And and I I just think uh, Jake does such a great job of um, making accessible a work that probably most people in the West uh, never, never have probably even looked past. What I think is interesting, though, to sort of um, land uh, the plane here to all of the things we're talking about is when it comes to imagining, like you said, the moral reckoning that causes the conscience of a person to, to, to be free enough to face the dire circumstances that most people had to face in these tumultuous times uh, during the World War II era, the post-World War II era in in Russia and the Eastern Bloc and things like this. It's hard for us to imagine what it would be like to take such a conscience, a stand of conscience, due to the sort of frictionless nature of what it means to live in the West. People talk about liquid modernity and things like this. Do you think that in the end, if there's a sort of basic point for people to start with, because to, to dive into Russian history and, and, a, and a thinker like Solzhenitsyn is to really, to really understand, you'd have to marshal history and literature and uh, so many things, right? He, he did science, he, he medicine, he approaches so many things, but the start with is to ask this question about how do we find the traction necessary in the modern world to be a man or woman of conscience like Vasily Grossman, like Solzhenitsyn, like all these figures that your book pays such attention to? Yeah, I think that there's actually a very simple starting place that... Uh, is alluded to in Jake Howland's fine chapter uh, and also in several of the other chapters that Solzhenitsyn, I mean, one of the things that when he came to the U.S., one of the things he was bothered by was just the omnipresence of media. And by that, I don't mean just simply journalism, uh, but also entertainment and ceaseless voices. And he himself refused to answer the phone <laughs> and he didn't watch television and, you know, I mean, there, there's his one of his sons has told a story in, in recent interviews of, of uh, you know, they got a television and put it in a separate room and kind of the family was snuck off to watch something because because social needs it himself, you know, thought we can't have this. And, you know, you might say, well, you know, cranky old Russian. But the reality is he understood and he said, look, look, this is what we need to do is have a space away from this sort of uh stream of constant voices, which so often are simply the voices 
of, you know, of forces of collectivism, whether of governmental or business or whatnot. Uh, and he said, we need to have a space to breathe and a space that allows us to make judgments and actually think on our own in the presence of, of God and our conscience so that we can have that power to act when, when, when the time comes to make a stand of conscience that you're talking about. So, you know, with Advent upon us, uh, you know, maybe different kinds of tech or social media or uh, entertainment fast might might be in order to sort of begin to to work at what social needs and uh, recounts and also urges us to do. Dave, it's been fantastic talking to you. People need to go uh, look this book up. Like we said, it's on Amazon. It's all over the place. I know, again, um, if, if we were being completely consistent with uh, Solzhenitsyn, you would need, you know, carrier pigeon, go to your local bookstore, figure it out. But whatever you need to do, Solzhenitsyn in American Culture, The Russian Soul in the West, edited by our good guest today, David DeVille, and, uh, his, uh, and Jessica Hooten Wilson as well. Uh, Dave's works all over the place, like we said, uh, University of St. Thomas, but uh, Logos Journal specifically, people need to go check this out. Dave, again, thank you for being on the show. Hey, thank you. It's been great to be with you, Bo and Bud. All right. Happy Thanks, Advent, man. Yeah. God bless. Happy Advent. Folks, this is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, in our city, our state, our nation, the world, the solar system, the whole galaxy, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the uncommon good, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> But if folks want to join in on the prayer life here at Iowa Catholic Radio, what are ways that they can be a part of that communal prayer uh, intentions? Yeah, during this Advent season, but especially at a time where there's still various, you know, social restrictions and things, I really encourage you to join us in prayer on air daily at 5.30 in the morning, 9.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. Those are rosary offerings. And then we pray the Angelus together at 6 a.m., but all of those prayer opportunities are available 24-7, uh, bilingual, and on, on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And folks, we want to say thank you for being a part of the ministry here on Iowa Catholic Radio, because, of course, it, the ministry extends well beyond the voices that you hear on air. Thankful for the people behind the boards like uh, Jimmy and Deacon Tony, all of the people in the office making Iowa Catholic Radio work, the volunteers that come in and help, and of course, everybody who joins in prayer, asking the Lord to sustain us, to vivify us, to build up our ability to reach people who listen to this ministry. But of course, body and spirit, right? We believe in uh, the integrated reality, the incarnational reality of the human being. Well, apostolates have that as well. So spiritually, we thank you for all the support but we do continually ask for material support as well. When you're thinking of end-of-year gifts, I know yesterday uh, was uh, one of the big giving days, if you got a chance to do that. But particularly with the end of the year coming up, if you can keep in mind our ministry, that again, you help sustain, that you are a part of. We're not in this alone. Please keep us in mind. You can call 515-223-1150 to talk to someone about giving options. You can text 515-223-1150. You can go online at iowacatholicradio.com, like we said, where you can donate or find emails to talk to folks about giving. And then, of course, Iowa Catholic Radio app. Wherever there's data, you will be able to, do, uh, to, to donate. 
And in advance, we want to say thank you for your willingness to help us out. We are in this together. We're doing great work. And we want to say thank you for all that you do. Well, bud, uh, I hope you have a good start to your advent. I hope you, you know, in all of your moving, you found a wreath and a few candles. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Bo. Blessings on this advent season to you and your family as well. We, uh, for all those out there that have small kids, always remember, uh, blow the candles out and make sure that whatever you use to light the candles are not in reach of little hands. <laughs> just, a, just a fair warning. There's a lot of trees and things that can burn during the holiday season. (laughs) This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.